let's go. It's the Plank Show on a Monday. What, did you uh, Did you not want to talk any more than just good morning, man? I just had so many things I was saying to you, and I'm like, I think Josh is completely ignoring me. Well, no, I had to scramble out quickly to grab a laptop bag. Ah, uh, okay, okay. There was some final scurrying <laughs> before he came on air, but I'm so sorry, man. Break, breaking down the fourth wall, just real quick here, because what are we all about? Being an open book. As we come to you live from the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings studio, we'll get to our Chick-fil-A countdown clock coming up here in a bit because it's reset. Chick-fil-A off 12th Avenue and Alameda. That's where I go for my lunch after the show. But as as I hooked up this morning, because I'm here at OU, which is where I spend my Mondays, We uh, one thing I love about Coach Venable's schedule is you literally you knock out everything on Monday outside of the his press conference on Tuesday and some post-practice avail, shows that we would typically tape later in the week, oh, no, no, we're getting it done now, and I love it. So I'm always here on a Monday, and Josh checks in, gets in the talk back when he's back in studio. He's like, hey, what's up, man? And I literally go off on a spiel of, dude, a great weekend. I'm so excited to hear your take on the game. How you doing? And there's nothing. Crickets. Nothing. <laughs> I'm so and sorry, I, and, and so then – I just kind of thought, oh, maybe maybe there's a delay. And I was like, man, I had a blast covering the game on Saturday. And then when there was no more crickets, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I hope he can hear me. <laughs> I hope I dialed into the right thing. But. I didn't I didn't mean to put you into a panic. <laughs> well, I mean, after you requested to go on with Steely last Friday, I mean, I'm feeling a little bit hypersensitive right now. I understand. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> hey, uh, shout out real quick. I, I, I think what – David Goodspeed does with his Fridays and OEC Fiber is really cool. And if you haven't kind of caught the gist of our OEC Fiber Football Fridays, what happens is David Goodspeed, uh, a great American, sad he's a Rams fan, but he'll go out to these local businesses that have purchased OEC Fiber and we'll take our shows there. And so not only are we able to kind of travel all around Oklahoma – but we get to tell the story of OEC Fiber in a really cool and unique way in traveling to different businesses, places uh, all across the Norman region and, and beyond. And it was cool to be out at Brookhaven Tire and Auto on, on Friday. So thank, thanks so much to them for hosting us. And while we're at it with our thank yous before we get to the actual sermon today, thank you to Boyd Street Ventures. That ended up being a really cool pregame spot. People coming by, we sold the pink T-shirts there. From my understanding, sold a lot of them. Met a lot of really cool people. Um, our guys with the, the Native American art were live painting a picture of Tiare, which was really neat. And that's just a good crew of people over there. So that was cool. As was Balfour with Toby and Ted. And then just an absolute party scene afterwards whenever it came to the post game on Campus Corner. So I – I don't know where else to go, Josh, but a heavy dose of positivity all the way across the board. And I, again, I haven't delved too much into the message board world or the Twitter world of of disdain or what we're supposed to be fueled by, right, which is always questioning. But I, um, I have very little to complain about. In fact, let me reset that. I'm pretty happy about everything, dude. <laughs> I don't know how you could come away from 73-zip 
which for, I just want to go ahead and call myself on this, uh, call myself out on this, and some of you that may have downloaded the Sooner Sports Podcast early know it. I, for some reason, Josh, can't get 77-0 out of my head. I don't know why. I have no clue why. But I sat down. I posted the pod. I wrote 77-0. I did an hour of Bernie's show on Saturday night talking about the 77-0 win. And then the next thing, you know, it, it like registers. It was like, it was 73 zip, dude. What are you doing? So I'm just, I'll probably do that again today a couple of times. But with that all behind us and looking ahead, I mean, come on, dude. About as perfect of a performance as you wanted to see from a team that we couldn't wait to see what they looked like and how they responded to the frustration of last year. Well, thank you. I think that probably now I will also at some point say 77-0. I know. I'm sorry. My bad. But, uh, yeah, obviously it was it was a great performance. You couldn't ask for anything more in the opener uh, from Oklahoma for the most part, right? Mm. I, you know, pass rush here, pass rush there. I, I know that was a gripe for some. But generally speaking, your two quarterbacks in Dylan Gabriel, Jackson Arnold, both come out wildly efficient. 44 yep. players made their first appearance in an Oklahoma uniform Saturday. Uh, 10 players made their first OU starts. 39 first-year Sooners saw the field. So big picture, you route Arkansas State. The quarterback's very, very efficient, and a bunch of guys got to play, which is sort of – I mean, that's what we were hoping for, right? That's what we expected. So my my second question to Brent Venables in the post game was probably to me the most reassuring thing, and and we're going to get to it all. I mean, this is a day of your reaction on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line four zero five six five one three four three nine four zero five six five one three four three nine. You can pick up the phone and call us at four zero five three two nine nine thousand. That's the Riverwind Casino jackpot line. Uh, and Teddy and Toby will join us for our recap coming up. I believe it's at 1035 this morning. So I'll make sure I stay on the clock in hour two, and we'll get Toby and Teddy in here to kind of tell us what they saw. But um, I <laughs> it, it's all reaction today, and I'm having a hard time with a couple of things that people are complaining about, right? The second question that I had to Brent Venables was about Anything with the depth as you got deeper, as you got later in that game and you brought in the second string, the third string, heck, the fourth string, I think, played, was there any drop-off in execution? In other words, did you see guys that, you know, outside of the athletic difference and the football difference of a guy that's third string to first string, was there a lot of, man, this guy just was lost out there or this dude doesn't understand what they're teaching? And it didn't seem to be the case, right? It didn't seem to be the case at all. So, I mean, I know that is very minor to some people, but to me, Josh, I thought that was a really big deal. Where, And I, I've got my book over here. I, I thought that was a really big deal where as you got into the third and fourth quarter, sure, you were in a situation when Davis Bevel got hurt, backed up in your own end, where you finally had to punt. But, see, I'm trying to look at the second half uh, stats only. There weren't a massive number of, of penalties that started to, to occur, right? There wasn't uh, a massive um, amount of mistakes. I mean, I'm looking here in the fourth quarter, and the Sooners only committed one penalty in the fourth quarter and didn't commit one in the third. Little things like that. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't this bend with the defense. 
Arkansas State in the third and fourth quarter combined were just one of five on third down conversions and didn't convert a fourth down. So if I'm looking for like a diamond in the rough spotlight and I want to go back and watch the the game a couple more times too and listen to the Brent Venables show, I felt, Josh, that even when you got into that depth where in years past there might be a a hiccup there or a blown assignment or someone's going to be running wide open or you're going to commit a turnover that's going to put a team in a – advantageous spot I didn't feel like that happened and that got me really excited for the depth of this team and not just necessarily in 23 but obviously beyond too you know you look at Caleb Hicks uh, obviously has his touchdown and think about everything we saw in the backfield from uh, Oklahoma wound up where you ended up seeing a lot of Javante Barnes and of course Marcus Major and Tommy Walker really did some nice things so just as a demonstration and illustration of what you're talking about. Caleb Hicks gets in there. Dalen Smothers, too, uh, some nice stuff here and there. But uh, Caleb Hicks gets in there and runs for a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. Three carries, 15 yards. But, uh, you know, I thought both freshmen looked good. I told you guys whenever I was out there last week that seven just popped to me. You know, he's not the biggest guy. Maybe it's because DeMarco Murray wore seven, so a running back wearing a single digit jumps out to me. Uh, But he just – he seemed very elusive in what I was watching. And I think some of that showcased on Saturday. But let's go ahead and let's let's talk about the low-hanging fruit here, Josh. If you're somebody that is JFA all the way and you think he should be the guy from day one, there wasn't much that he did to try to push you off that platform unless you really watch Dylan Gabriel, who I thought was just phenomenal. I thought that there were – well, he only threw three incomplete passes. I didn't know if – you know, one of them was very kind of head-scratching. But I thought beyond that, Josh, you know, Jackson Arnold's going to get the talk and the hype, and he's the freshman, and he's the five-star, and everybody loves him, and it was an awesome response whenever he came in the game. But I thought Dylan Gabriel magnified and carried over what's been talked about in the offseason and what he's done because I thought he looked really – I thought he just looked in control. And, yes, Jackson Arnold's awesome, and he's the future. But holy smokes, man, Dylan Gabriel looked sharp yesterday, or Saturday. Absolutely. Very, very crisp, which was the number one thing you wanted to see across the board from Oklahoma and obviously at the quarterback position. Dylan Gabriel was just in command of things, Plank. The the way that OU ran tempo, I thought uh, early on Saturday, and, you know, they kind of slowed that down a little bit initially with Jackson Arnold, but – Dylan Gabriel, this offense, it was just humming the way mm-hmm. you, you wanted it to hum with him uh, under center. And obviously the statistical day that he had was fantastic. So I'm with you. I thought he was great. You're right. This participation chart is wild, isn't it? <laughs> when you look at how many guys Oklahoma was able to get in this game. All right, Teddy and Toby coming up at 1030. I want to get your takes in here at 405-651-3439. Hour one of the Plank Show, as always, is brought to you by Van Hoos Fence vhfence.com. Do it because Bob Stoops said so. When we come back, we'll hear from Brent Venables. We'll start diving into the uh, to the text line, and it's just a Monday reaction to a Sooner-dominating win in week one, 1-0, SMU this weekend. It's a full day of Sooner football coverage right here on The Ref. All right, welcome back into the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Sports Radio Network. 
With Josh Helmer, I'm Chris Plank. Let me hit a couple of these quick texts right off the top, man. You guys came out hot, and I I dig it. And this from 580Nate is a an interesting take, Josh, because it ties in something that happened last night in comparison to what happened on Saturday. 580Nate writes, does the FSU beatdown of LSU mean anything in the eyes of a Sooner fan? Considering the Sooners played a competitive bowl game against them in that environment to end last season, or is it a clean slate to start the season? That's a good question. I'll pose it today. Did it? I got it. I'm blown away with how LSU imploded in that second half. I mean, they they look like a well-oiled machine in the first half. And then they look like in the second half they forgot conditioning drills and Florida State made them pay. What's the stat I just gave you? Eight carries for eight yards for LSU in the second half. Eight for eight. Not good. But what do you make of 580 Nate's question, Josh? Well, I don't think it hurts. You know, the does the bowl game carry over conversation, timeless, evergreen. Mm-hmm. And trying to evaluate or judge it is is tough because we've seen instances of both where it looks like maybe it you know was a springboard into the next season or you played great and then like last season it it really didn't matter so i do think if you look up and you know 6 7 weeks from now florida state's one of the top 5 teams in america and they're undefeated then yeah sure oklahoma's going to draw confidence from that right absolutely absolutely but um what was the Brett Yormark quote that he used on Friday when asked about the comments on Texas Tech? He said, I've always been told to play to my crowd, right? And that's kind of one of his life lessons. Uh, one of my life lessons has been I've always been told that the only thing good that you can pick, can compare from last year to this year is nothing. So – I I'll try to sell people on trends early in the season. Hey, you know, they won seven of the last nine. Like, I don't care. I remember we've had many of shows, Josh Helmer, right here you and I have. Can you carry over bowl momentum? No, not at all. But that is a very similar Florida State team. Keon Coleman's a difference maker. And how Michigan State screwed that up and didn't throw him the ball every single time, I will never understand. Never understand. But – I think you just – you look at it and you think, all right, good. Florida State's good. It's not – it's not we we were the signal of a team that wasn't all that great. It was Florida State's good, and they're going to carry over momentum. And I'll add to it, Josh, boy, that – depending on what happens with Clemson and Duke tonight, I, I expect Clemson to win, though. I like Duke's quarterback a lot. It does really ratchet up the juice for that showdown between Clemson and Duke in week four, doesn't it? Or, pardon me, Clemson and Florida State in week four. Absolutely it does. I mean, that – which collision course kind of always felt like those two are the primary forces in the, the ACC. But, yeah, how, how could it not? I mean, Florida State held up its end of the equation versus LSU. Yep, they did. Uh, and then and then just one more here because I, I think this is good to go ahead and bring up for the 785 who writes, did R. Mason Thomas play how many snaps thinks? No, R. Mason Thomas – was in a group of about maybe three to four dudes who we expect to play a lot of snaps this year but suited up yet didn't play. And they included Gavin Sawchuck, 
R. Mason Thomas, and Josiah Wagner. And you know what? Now that I mention it, I don't know if I ever even saw Wagner padded up. He may have been. But I uh, I fully expect him to be okay. It's just precautionary. I, how about a for instance? Drake Stoops could have come back in the game or at least was asking to come back in the game. And coaches were like, bro, it's, it's already 21 zip and we're three minutes into the game, or at least the trainers were. So that gave him a little extra time. So that was great news to know that there wasn't any there wasn't any tears or anything that could have been season ending. Now I'm sure Ted's talked a lot about AC sprains and the challenge of playing with those. So I'm sure it's going to be painful for him throughout the year. But the good news is it seems like he'll be back and ready to go next weekend. And I don't know about Deshaun McCullough. I never saw I never saw him again after the game. But I did hear Coach talk about, hey, you know, it's a sprained ankle and it looks like he'll be okay. I'll tell you what, dude, I I don't have the snap totals, but the snaps that he was on the field, now that's something. I mean, him and Harrington, when they were on the field at the same time and how they can move him around, that play he made in coverage, and I know everything was very basic and very vanilla, if you will, but I got to tell you something, dude, that – I think he's going to be okay. I think that ankle's fine. As far as aesthetically and looking the part and then going out and making a play in coverage with that kind of size, on a good throw too. I was impressed with him with the minimal amount of time we saw him. Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths of this team is the cheetah position. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully they get him back quickly and uh, obviously he's healthy. Uh, one more point off the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. And, and then there's – then I want to move on to the uh, the comment that I really was intrigued by from both Butch Jones and Brent Venables. The 405 writes, Arkansas State went to max protection really fast in the first quarter, and Oklahoma didn't blitz a whole lot, a lot of three- and four-man rush. So sack's probably not going to happen with that protection. Oh, I mean, listen, man, you're, you're preaching to the choir on this. I, I could almost write the text from someone who wants to – disagree with you or say I don't care it's Oklahoma that's Arkansas State they could have five guys blocking one and we should barrel right through but credit Arkansas State for maybe one thing they did a good job protecting their quarterback but I also don't think that he was ever really comfortable back there Josh there might not be massive sack totals but I I don't think if you were to go and talk this morning to JT Shroud. I don't think he's necessarily talking about how comfortable things were and because he wasn't sacked. No, I mean, basically he had two chunk plays. The mm-hmm. 28-yarder to Rucker on what I think was the third drive and then a 47-yarder to Courtney Jackson on the fifth drive. And other than that, there really wasn't a ton for Arkansas State in general. Yeah, no question. All right, this to me was one of the most compelling post-game quotes. And uh, – I've always been a fan of the Ben Maller philosophy. Do you know what the Ben Maller philosophy is, Josh? Uh, The stories are always better in the loser's locker room. But how about this high praise from Butch Jones afterwards in talking about this Oklahoma team? First of all, very disappointing in terms of the way we competed. Uh, Brent has really done a really good job of really elevating this football team from last year. Uh, so he's done a really good job there. Uh, there was a marked difference 
uh, with this football team than what we saw on video. They're tough. They're physical. Uh, I thought they out-athleted us. The speed differential uh, is probably the most glaring I've probably seen in my career. Um, so he's done a good job that way. But when you play a team like Oklahoma, um, and they're a top 25 football team for a reason, and you watch the success that they'll have this year. This is a talented football team. They challenge you in so many ways. You have to be disciplined in the details. And it, you have to not lose the game before you can ever win the game. And when you give up. Direct TV Sports Central brings. Jeez Louise, man. You can't even get through 30 seconds of a soundbite before YouTube's got to throw a throw an ad in there. There's only like 12 views on this this video. Well, we got the gist of it anyway. High praise, right? When you go into a loser's locker room and as upset, I mean, heck, Butch Jones had to be helped up off the ground by one of his safeties because of his disappointment and frustration. Uh, Butch Jones is coached at Tennessee. He was a Administ- not administrative assistant. What am I trying to say, Josh? An analyst in the uh, Nick Saban coaches clinic where he, he helped lead Alabama to a national championship. He knows good football. So when he says that about, all right, this is what I saw today, and this is what he's doing, and that's a team that's going to win a lot of games, sure, there's some saving face that goes on there. But in the end – I don't know. I, I take it as pretty big time for what he took away from the Sooners on Saturday. Sure. And after 73 to nothing, probably, yeah, he would come away uh, pretty impressed. But here's somebody that's been around right. major college football, has seen great teams before. And for him to have that type of praise afterwards, let's, uh, let's revisit that, right, in a mm-hmm. month, in two months' time perhaps. You know, it's funny because I think about what an opposing coach said last year and that take last year was well nobody really knows what this is going to look like so there might be some challenges for opposing teams early on I think I think the UTEP coach went as far as saying that he felt like that was one of the advantages that Oklahoma would have early in the season that no one would really know what they were doing and sure they they took advantage of it and started three and oh but now the now the reaction is that's a completely different team on on the field than we saw on tape last year. And I don't know if there could be anything more exciting from Saturday's game than that. Uh, I asked Coach Venables in the postgame if he felt like the execution in the fundamentals, if they stayed where they needed to be or if they deteriorated a little bit as they got deeper in the depth chart. Here's what Coach said during his uh, postgame press conference. Wait for it. Wait for it. Obviously, at some point in time in the second half, uh, kept things kind of tight, but those games can get ugly and, and be sloppy, and it didn't. So the execution was was good. Again, efficiency in the red zone. We said we had to get better. And uh, had a fourth down stop when they got down there a little bit close, and we were 9-9 nine of nine on offense in the red zone, eight touchdowns and a field goal. So um, there's a lot that, you know, will affirm you know, the things that we've been asking them to do, but we'll have, you know, uh, a lot of challenges, you know, you know, again on the season. So 
but a lot of things went our way today, and uh, they're not always going to. It's not going to always be that easy. I think our guys know. So you know, and a few guys that were banged up that probably uh, could have played uh, had we needed them, and. Obviously, well, I don't know a whole lot uh, right now uh, on those guys. I think uh, Drake maybe he just had an AC sprain, and uh, you know he was anxious to get back in there, but uh, we didn't need him. And uh, you know, hopefully Davis is okay. Might might just be an M- uh, I say just, but it, uh, an MCL. Uh, and uh, and then Son McCullough had an ankle injury. I don't think it's real severe, but uh, it wasn't. It wasn't strong enough to go back in. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There is uh, – he got into the injury report, which I did appreciate. But also it, it seemed as if, Josh, there is that understanding that, hey, there is still work to be done. We're going to face tougher co- a tougher competition. But if you look at the category of things that you wanted to see throughout this game, the lack of a drop-off when that second and third team came in, look like that they were pretty happy with that. Sure. And just the way that you were roaring out of the gates, right? I mean, yeah, no drop-off, but uh, you came out and dominated an opponent that you were supposed to come out and dominate. All right. We'll get a break. 9.33. Texts, your response next. Calls, 405-329-9000. Twitter, at Plank Show, at Josh on Ref. Let's go. It is a Monday reaction show. OU rolls. Arkansas State gets ready for SMU, and this is the home of Sooner fans. Yeah, you know, it's Jackson's birthday today, so that was kind of cool. But Dylan, um, he's, again, uh, showed savviness, experience, um, poise, uh, you know, execution, you know, his decision-making, his accuracy, and his ability to take care of the football, throw the ball on time, you know, read – you know, what's going on from a defensive structure standpoint, but uh, just fantastic, you know, just smooth guy. And, you know, our charge for him is to take another step when it comes to, you know, demanding excellence from everybody around you and helping everyone else get better. And um, he's taken he's taken that on, you know, himself. So really proud of him, and uh, he's a great teammate. And... Uh, so he's he's done great, and then Jackson came in and you know did a really nice job. Same thing, made some good decisions and threw the ball with accuracy and on time and put it uh, in the right spots and ran, ran the ball a little bit, and, and that was good to see to kind of get that out of the way for him. But uh, took care of the football, which is you know most important, and then making good decisions you know on where to spit the ball to and distribute it. I can't tell you enough, Josh, as we welcome you back into the Plank Show. That's Brent Venables talking about his quarterback play from Saturday night. Those power runs with Jackson Arnold are awesome looking, but I'm not going to kid you, scare the absolute bejesus out of me whenever he would do that. Uh, Before we get to the text, what'd you make of the quarterback play? What'd you make specifically of our first look at 10 on a game day cert day? Well, obviously, I thought he was fantastic. 11 for 11, the the dual threat ability, the different packages that Oklahoma can run there. He's going to be a star. I think we knew that. And to me, we saw some clear growth and 
part of this probably just the personnel around him and the situation. Right. But I thought we saw some clear growth from Jackson Arnold from uh, the spring to now. I, I just everything seemed to click, right? I can't go back and give you an offensive line grade, but I'm going to sit here as soon as we tape Coach's Corner and talk with Jeff Lebby and, and Gabe's on the show. So we're going to learn a heck of a lot about how well that offensive line played. It seemed to me that it was really good. So you, you add that into two quarterbacks that seem to be very much dialed in. I mean, some of those throws Jackson Arnold made, I'm glad Teddy brought this up on the broadcast. You might say, oh, it was, it was just balls are out to the flat. I mean, some of those are hard throws. <laughs> I mean, we saw Colorado pick Chandler Morris on one of them that's about perceived as an easy of a throw as you can have. So I was, I don't know about you, Josh, but the way in which he throws the ball, and I know everyone always likes to joke with the, it just comes out of his hand different. I mean, even on the deep ball, whenever he got the offsides, and I'm not going to lie, because we'd seen some of it in practice on Thursday or Tuesday last week, whenever I saw that flag fly for offsides and knowing what they call the play, purple, purple, as Coach Stoops told us during the broadcast, when they got the pass interference on it in the first half, first quarter, and then you just get to see Jackson Arnold throwing a deep ball, man. It's a thing of beauty. So I'm glad everyone got to see the uh, arm display. Did you get to go, or were you a, an observer from the Helmer household on Saturday? Yeah, no, a Helmer household observer. And uh, the observations were that Oklahoma played really well. Did you, uh, did you get to listen to my man Roddy Jones on TV? He was the analyst on the broadcast. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, how'd they do? Uh, they, they were good. Yeah, from uh, you know, sometimes it's like I'm a little dialed out on uh, maybe what they're saying on TV, right. doing a doing a multi view situation. But uh, from what I caught, yeah, it was good. Okay, all right. Uh, to the texter that has asked this question several times, and also a major shout out to my man John Phillips, who texted and asked me this during the game. Maybe there's someone that can help us out with this because I noticed this as well. The lights were on all game long. The sun was blazing down. It was as bright as bright could possibly be. And and yet, Josh Helmer, the lights were on Saturday morning. I, maybe it's a TV thing. I don't know. But it, it, was, it was – I don't know if – that's always been the case either, has it? Only the lights are always on. But I I had more. It shows you how impressive the performance was. Where you look around and you're like, huh, why are the lights on? It's like you almost don't have anything to complain about. And I'm not saying you're complaining, but it's just it's one of those things where you sit back and you wonder, this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense right now, right? I mean, Josh, it's got to be like a TV thing, right? <laughs> it has to be, yeah. You would think. Did you feel – okay, I'm, I'm promising to get to the text. One final did you, how'd you, what was it to Josh? Did you notice anything different with the clock rules across college football? Did it seem like the games were more lower scoring? You know, in the realm of Oklahoma football where you win 73 to nothing, no, it, it didn't feel like there was much different. But sure. – uh, 
Yeah, across the board, sure, a, a little bit. And, you know, it's just kind of depends. Like last night, Florida State's still plenty explosive. So, you know, if you're great offensively against a, what we think is a good team, right, in LSU, you could still go be explosive offensively. Right. And then you, you go kind of around the country in some other instances to where there's no doubt that it shortened games and took some possessions and plays off the board. So I, I like it. I think it's a welcome change for college football. I know there's some – wide-ranging sets of opinions on that. But to me, I mean, I don't think you need to live in a world where there's 230 combined snaps. So, to me, I think it's just fine. The Twitter feed at Air Raid 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 Certification. Oh, they were upset. Running clock is taking 40 to uh, 60 total snaps away from games while they still take just as long on TV because they fill that time with ads. College football is now a TV product. Many teams barely hit 50 off-season snaps. As the season goes on, you will see some major upsets, mainly because of the fact a real full game wasn't played. TCU would not have made it to the national championship last year with these new running clock rules. Here's one other note. In 2022, Florida International ran 71 plays, or 74 plays against Louisiana Tech. Florida International ran 44 plays against Louisiana Tech this year. 30 missing plays, and that's just one side of the ball. Chip Kelly seems to agree. But, like you said, on Saturday, I didn't really notice anything. No. <laughs> all right, all right, let's get a couple of these texts in here. They're really good. Eric in Illinois writes, I do not – I do take a lot from how the OU season ended last year. I'm coming around to the fact that the team last year was underdeveloped and many older players were not brought into the philosophy, uh, were not bought into the philosophy on the staff. Folks were panicked when we started losing players pre-bowl game, but I think we worked to see those young players who were bought in and worked all season. After bowl game prep, we saw a better prepared team, and I'm cautiously optimistic to see what happens as the year progresses. Josh, every every year we talk about those bowl practices and how you could have individuals that maybe didn't see a lot of playing time during the year, but then they get that opportunity during bowl prep, we can take advantage of it. Well, even though we didn't see Sawchuck on Saturday, the Gavin Sawchucks, Javante Barnes, Nick Anderson, so on and so forth, I, I think that that's a, that's a pretty good point. It might not be how they played against Florida State that you're like, oh, yeah, that carries over. But the amount of time those young guys got, I think that's a big deal. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, an important experience for those guys. And just in general, you know, year one to year two for a lot of folks uh, that, that have been a part of this program. But if you're talking carryover, to do that against that opponent, I just think that, yeah, it has to be beneficial on some level. Yeah. The, the, the Florida State that when he says that opponent from last year. And then from the 806, I think 580 Nate's point, simply because we were competitive in the bowl game, holds water with me. Believe me, if we'd lost big, they'd be mentioning it. The question was very simple. We're not asking if bowl momentum carries over. Uh, the question from Nate was, does Florida State's domination of LSU have you feeling any sort of way as a Sooner fan and then there's this Josh DG looked better but we all have to wonder 
Was it because of who we played? In my opinion, his arm strength is a concern and had a few underthrown passes. Jackson Arnold, J.A., made it effortless, and if D.G. plays, uh, if D.G. doesn't play well, we will hear the Jackson Arnold chance. Well, Dylan Gabriel is going to play as long as he's healthy. I th- now, I will say where I was wrong, they didn't end up bringing him in as early as I thought they might. But then again, they weren't. I think they realized pretty quickly after, gosh, your first drive is maybe a minute, maybe, and then it's 14 zip, and you're not even three minutes into the game. I think you look at things you're like, yeah, okay, I think we're going to be fine here. But, but, I still think that you'll see Jackson Arnold in some situations as the season progresses. I, I'd love to see that quarterback run game. It just scared me every time he ran it, Josh. Sure, sure it did. <laughs> but it shows you, for, and no offense, Sooner Soldier, I hope you don't take it, but even for guys like Sooner Soldier, you can see Dylan Gabriel play as well as he did. He was incredible out there on Saturday, and yet you come away and you're like, well, it's, it's all about who we played, but yet, I mean, Jackson Arnold was playing that same team, if not maybe a level lower, because they had brought in some of their backups. Dylan Gabriel is one of those guys that I think you can't win, what is it, can't lose to win or win to lose with some fans. They're just so excited about Jackson Arnold, it's not going to matter. Indeed, Yes. That's the optimism and excitement for Jackson Arnold. It's, you know, for some, it's that's what they want, right? But uh, Dylan Gabriel, I mean, if he's playing like that, Plank, then, I mean, come on, what are we talking about? Yeah, that's fun. It's fun to see him execute. All right, uh, more of your texts coming up. Uh, Toby and Ted are slated to join us at 1035. We're going to do this every single Monday where we look back on the game that was. Uh, top five stories today, top five storylines, top five standouts, top five angles we took from uh, Saturday's win. And we got more Brent Venables as we roll on on a Monday right here on The Ref. Optimism here on the Plank Show today off the text line, which will be the ultimate way to get in touch with the show, 405-651-3439. Beach bum sooner. You want to talk about being on a high after Saturday. He writes, if we play anyone as good as we played on Saturday, there isn't a team in the country can touch us. That can touch us. It's keeping up that quality of play and hope we can. Well, I will say this much. They landed that first right jab with that touchdown drive and then the, the three and out and then that knockout punch. To me, Josh, and obviously the final score indicates it, being over there a little bit on that sideline during the during the mid-first updates, that team was done 14-zip. I mean, Oklahoma had whipped it out of them. It was incredible, man. And I think you saw that. They just couldn't get. Now, I will say, I did have to laugh on the guy that in the fourth quarter, he made a hit that kept the Sooners from getting the first down where they had to punt. <laughs> and he got up, like, talking trash. And I was like, bro, what are we even doing? Dude, you're losing 150-0. to zero. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down. Uh, and, and then this from Yardbird Richer. You reported an on-the-field temperature of 143. In what world is that safe for people? We need to have provisions in the TV contracts to move games with dangerous heat tonight. They could be streamed online if need be. I am of the understanding 
that that is that is a read of what it's literally when it's hitting the field, the sun hitting the field. I agree with you. It was hot. It was hot. And I know this is going to sound maybe a little bit, oh, I don't know, tough guy. But I thought that Florida Atlanta game was infinitely hotter than that. I, I literally was ready to uh, go ahead and just have end times for me after that one. It was scorching. But it was hot. I thought, and again, from the, most of the reaction I saw, it seems like Oklahoma did a really nice job in implementing plans to make sure that there was plenty of water and cold water, plenty of areas to make sure that you could you know, get, get away from the sun. I saw a couple of incidents where you know they security and IMSA needed to get in the stands to help out some fans, but it's that's early season football when you have those early morning and mid afternoon starts. It's just it's going to be hot. I thought we did a good job of trying to get better at making sure everyone was taken care of. Gosh, it was hot though. Not the hottest, Josh, but it was hot. <laughs> All right, quick break. It's a plank show recapping seventy three to zip right here on the ref.